BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Rube, we made it. It's draft week. I can't believe it's finally here. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's weird because usually the, the the couple weeks before the draft, we're down at the Novacare a lot, doing the interviews, talking to Howie, talking to Doug. Uh, so it, it almost doesn't seem like it's really here, but it really is here, and uh, it, it's going to be a fun few days. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is the Eagle Eye Podcast with Ruben Frank. I'm Dave Zangaro. Ruben, we have a busy show today. It's our final Eagle Eye before the draft. So we're going to kind of go through some first-round scenarios, give our, our final takes on the first round of the draft. We're going to go through the first three rounds and kind of give an overview. Uh, we have Rich Eisen joining us as he gets ready for a very unique draft. We'll go through some of Howie Roseman's previous first-round picks, and we'll each give a bold prediction for this draft. But we have to start, I guess, with the place we've kind of talked about now for months. The first round, the Eagles have pick number 21. Gut feel, do they pick at 21? I'm going to say no. Uh, I think uh, I think more likely than not, I'd say it's about a you know, 75% chance how he gets out of 21, either up or down, most likely up. Um, I, I just think he's, he's only picked it at his pre-ordained spot twice since he's been GM. One was Danny Watkins, one was Lane Johnson. So, uh, it, it, you know, there's no pattern there, but he's just an aggressive guy. And I think 21 is just a starting point. It's not a finishing point for him. It's just a place to work from. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't get up into that 16, 17, 18 uh, area. I think 16 is a good spot for them and and get the receiver they want. Howie's not one to let things come to him. He's going to go out and get what he wants. Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to look at this because if in recent mock drafts and some well-respected people, guys like you know Mel Kuyper, saying Henry Ruggs could be available at 21, um, it's a risky strategy to sit there at 21, even if one of those guys starts to drop. Um, I mean, to sit on your hands until pick 21 and just, you know, how he said it about injuries before, but it kind of works for this. Hope is not a strategy. Um, it, to me, that's a tough sell to just sit there at 21 and hope that Ruggs or Jefferson or, Judy are there at 21. First, I don't know how likely it is. Second, man, those would be some long minutes just just watching the clock. And, and you really have to have an understanding of not just what the, the teams in front of you are going to do, but what the teams behind you are going to do. A team like Minnesota could easily leapfrog you and take the receiver right from you. Yeah, I, I think we'll learn – uh, how much the Eagles are really married to the concept of uh, best available Thursday night. Because if they sit at 21 and take you know, Kenneth Murray or uh, Yeter Grossmatos uh, or, uh, you know, a, a non, you know, Christian Fulton, who, whoever it is, a non-receiver, a non 
um, then, then we'll know that Howie really believes in best available player. I don't think that's the case. I think best available is a great concept within a certain number of positions. Uh, usually there's two or three, you know, for the Eagles that are kind of equal. So if you can get one of those three, uh, you take the best available in that group. But this year it's really just receiver. Right? So I think the combination of their desperate need along with how deep it is at receiver means he's going to go get that guy. Uh, it's not like Howie to sit at 21, but if he does, if they end up taking Xavier McKinney at 21, that tells you how he believes in best available player. If, if they go out and get the receiver, then, you know, that, that message is, it sounds great at press conferences, but we need a receiver and we're going to go get one. Yeah, I mean, best player available to me is one of the biggest myths in the whole draft community because there are very few teams who really stick to that. Uh, and it's because teams value different positions differently. Uh, and, and the Eagles, I think, would almost admit that. We've heard Howie's comments about linebacker. We know that he doesn't view that position like he does defensive linemen or offensive linemen. Um, I, I think it's more likely they end up with a receiver in the first round of this draft, but I don't think there's any sort of guarantee. Um, and, and I think a pass rusher would make sense too. So. Um, What's your gut tell you there? Do, do you kind of agree with me that you think receivers more likely, or do you think that this thing's kind of up for grabs? I do think it's more likely. I, I think uh, I think there's a, a much better than even chance it'll be a receiver. Uh, I mean, it's just everything points that way, and uh, I don't think it's a lock. But there's a lot of different ways he can go. He can go, you know, down in the second and get you know, maybe a Denzel Mims, you can go up in this, I mean, in the first and get Mims, you know, if, if that's what they're thinking, you can go up and maybe get Jefferson. I don't think they have a shot at, at Judy or CeeDee Lamb, no matter how aggressive they are. I just don't think there's a scenario where it could get those guys. I think, you know, certainly you've heard rumblings of, uh, uh, of rugs dropping, and, and I guess that's possible. I mean, we don't really know exactly what the teams are thinking, but um, I just don't see any scenario you can get C.D. Lamb or or uh, or, or Jerry Judy. So uh, I think the other two guys could be in play if they trade up. Who knows? Jefferson could be sitting there waiting for him at 21. I, honestly, I'd be shocked. Um, but you know what? If they do come out of there with a, a linebacker or a, or an edge rusher, either 21 or or between 22 and and the end of the sec uh, the first round. It would, as long as they address receiver a couple times after that, you know, I wouldn't have a huge issue with it. But you know, if if they don't, if they can't get one of those four guys, they got to draft somebody. So um, it, it would be understandable. It would certainly make them a better defense. They need it. They need some edge rush help. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see it evolve because you know the, the first round after those first few picks, it never goes the way we think. Somebody's going to drop. Somebody's going to get taken way before anybody thinks. There's going to be trades. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we haven't even considered, we haven't even talked about. So uh, it's certainly going to be a lot of fun to watch it uh, evolve. Rube, I, I love draft night so much. It's so exciting because, like, like you said, we, we don't really know what's going to happen. We spend months trying to figure it out, and then absolutely no one is right about it. I'll, I'll never forget in uh, – the year uh, Mariota came out and um, just kind of watching in the auditorium at the Novacare complex, because we all thought Ship was going to was gonna go get him. And 
I'll just never forget the drama. I mean, I'm like, I, I was like, man, my heart's like going like a hundred <laughs> beats a minute here. This is exciting stuff uh, because those little decisions that are made on draft night, you know, they affect you for, for decades. Uh, you know, people talk about when the Eagles drafted Mike Quick, the, the receiver they wanted was Perry Tuttle. I mean, they were desperate for Perry Tuttle and somebody picked Perry Tuttle one pick before them and, they were stuck with Mike Quick, who became the greatest receiver in Eagles history. Uh, Perry Tuttle was out of the league in two years. So it, there's just so many unknowns. And, you know, we're going to hear all the analysts rave about every draft pick. But the reality is, what, what do you think? Maybe 60% of those guys, 70% uh, in the first three rounds. It's lower in the first round. But half the guys in the first round are not going to be what that team thought they were going to be. So uh, the, the drum is incredible. It's, it's really – it's really, I think, out of all the non-event events, you know, in, in any sport, like there's no actual action, there's no ball being thrown, but it's, it's probably my favorite because the, the drama is just unreal. Yeah, it's, you know, the only one that comes close is the draft lottery, watching those ping pong balls, you know. And it's crazy what's changed. I mean, I started covering the draft. I mean, I remember talking to um, Howard Mudd, the old Eagles offensive line coach. He got drafted. He didn't know for two days he got drafted. And the athletic director at, the athletic director at his college um, got a, a letter from the team that drafted him. By Pony Express. But they got a letter in the mail. The AD got a letter. He opened it up, and he, you know, he, I don't know, he called Howard Mudd, said, come down to my office. He said, yeah, you got drafted by the Packers or whoever it was. They, I mean, they wrote him a letter. Yeah. Imagine that. And he ended up making the team of the decade. So uh, things of I, I didn't cover that draft, uh, but I the do remember. One, I do remember my very first draft in '88. I don't want to get too off topic, but uh, we were in the in the dungeons at the vet in some like storage room, and I'll never forget Peter King coming in, who now works with us at NBC Sports. Peter came in with a a fax machine, a printer, and you know like five telephones, and he set up in this. The, the, we had these rows of tables, and we all had like our draft guides, or our lads guide, or Kuiper's guide, or Joel Bushbaum guide, and we just sat there and, you know, and, and watched it on TV. But it was only the first round was on TV, and it was like twelve rounds, and I think it was all in one day. So it's it's changed an awful lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to kind of go through the way I view the first round. You can tell me how you view it, especially from the scope of of what the Eagles need. I look at it, and to me, if the top four receivers aren't there at 21, I'm not sure there's value in taking a receiver there. So um, their options at that point would be take best player available, which would likely be a defensive player, or trade back either later in the first round or into the early second. How do you view it? Yeah, I'm with you. And I just think it's going to be tough to trade down this year because, you know, at least the perception is that the uh, there's just so much more value early the second round or at the very end of the first round than there is at 21. I don't know if teams are going to be really eager to to get from 28 or 32 or 36 to 21. Uh, so I, I think the Eagles might hit a brick wall there if they try to get out of 21. That's why I think there's a fair chance, you know, they will end up taking an edge rusher or a linebacker or, or a D-back safety or, or something like that. I, I just think you can't, Look, I like Denzel Mims. I really like what I've seen from him. But if, you know, if, if he's not close to being the 21st player, best player, or if you feel like you can get Denzel Mims later 
Uh, you just can't force it. You just can't make that reach at 21 and take a wide receiver that's not giving you value. So um, in an ordinary year, I would say there's a 95% chance they take a receiver. But because of that and, and the reality that they might not be able to go get Jefferson, they might not be able to get Ruggs. Judy and Lamb could be long gone by the time. They might have no shot at those guys no matter how aggressive how he is. So um, it, it could be a real dilemma where the top four guys that we kind of see as the top four guys uh, just are unattainable, and the next group of guys uh, are just not good value at 21, and you gotta you got to go another direction. Yeah, so in my most recent Eagles-only mock, I want to run this scenario by you. A lot of people did not like it uh, just because I had them trading up for Justin Jefferson, and I think opinions on him, for whatever reason, are very split. Uh, but the trade I proposed with the Falcons, and I picked the Falcons because right now they're, they're really trying, at least there's a lot of smoke around them trying to trade up into the top 10 picks. And my thought is if they can't get that done, they're kind of letting it be known that they don't love the value where they are, so then maybe they'd be willing to trade back. And they don't have a ton of picks. Um, so the trade I proposed was – the Eagles giving them 21, their fourth round pick, and Rasul Douglas for number 16 and a seventh round pick in this draft, figuring how he's going to try to recoup something. Well, I know, I know the Falcons really have been eyeing Rasul Douglas for a long time now. Well, I mean, I, I figure they need some cornerback depth. They do. He kind of would fit, I think, that cover three scheme a little better. He's a longer corner. Um, and, and he has some – he has starting experience in this he league. I think, I, I think that we've seen so much of Rasul Douglas that people are kind of over that idea. But, you know, if I were to – if you were in another market and I said, hey, here's a six-foot-two cornerback who started a, this X amount of games in the league. 18 was a third, games, I think. Was a third-round pick. You'd probably go, oh, that's worth a shot. But since we know him so well, we don't think right. that. Right. You know, that, and really, he's a toss stand in this deal anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I've, seen, I've seen some good things from Rasul Douglas so over the years, just not enough of them. But uh, that's a topic for another day. But um, I, I think if they, can, if they could work that deal, uh, it would certainly be – that's a Howie Roseman kind of deal. You give up a player, give up a pick, you get a, uh, another pick back, you recoup something, and you get to where you want to be. Uh, I, I think that's a really realistic kind of uh, thing to, to – consider even giving up the third round pick which is a late third it's it's 103 because they already gave up their own third round pick if I'm the Eagles I'd be fine with doing that that number 53 though that's a tougher sell for me because this is a team that has more needs than just receiver and even if receiver was their only need they could theoretically get two players um, so giving up 53 is a tough sell for me right now um, yeah, I would protect 53 at all costs. Uh, I think it's a really good pick. Uh, historically, the Eagles have gotten more elite players in the second round than the first round. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> not, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I, I, would, I would, unless it meant getting C.D. Lamb, I would protect that, that second round pick. Yeah, and, you know, in the second round, it's a lot easier to move up, too. So, Right. If for some reason they don't take a receiver in the first round and they take a different player at 21, or even if they move back and take a different player, the, 
there's a group of receivers who I think are second round players. And if you like one of those players more than the others, it's a lot easier to trade up from 53 to the forties than it is to trade up in the first round sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The people don't realize how hard it is to move up. And I think it's something how he's really, really good at. Uh, he's got a great mind for making trades um, and getting, getting maximum value. So in that, um, Eagles only mock draft that I alluded to earlier. I wanted to go through my first three picks with you uh, just because I, I think it is interesting that we, we, we know that, you know, Jefferson might be the top of their list. So I have Jefferson at 16 and then I have uh, Terrell Lewis from Alabama, the edge rusher at 53 and then Jordan Brooks linebacker from Texas tech in the third round. Um, He's an interesting guy who's kind of gotten a lot more buzz recently, might not have been a second-round pick. What do you make of not just those players, but those positions in the first three rounds? Well, it's interesting because uh, uh, Terrell Lewis was my second-round mock pick uh, as well without looking at yours. Um, I really think their need for an edge rusher is underrated. Um, as much as I like Brandon Graham, he's going into year 11. Um, still played at a high level, but at some point um, – you know, he's going to come back to earth, plays hard. Um, he's played a lot of snaps in his career. Great guy. Uh, you like Derek Barnett more than I do. Yeah, I think you might like Derek Barnett more than anybody does. Uh, but uh, he's okay. Uh, but, you know, if he keeps giving you five, six sacks a year, I- I'm not sure that's what you're looking for from a top 15 pick. And then Josh Sweat's the next guy. Uh, Jim Schwartz played four defensive ends, at least 350 snaps last year. Right now, their fourth pass rusher is who? Joe Osman. So even if, even if you get a lot out of BG and Derek Barnett this year, you still have a need for a, an edge rusher. Um, so I think he's a good fit there. Um, my third round – I'm sorry, what was, you asked me uh, – if if, What do you thought about those positions in general? Uh, and who's your, uh, your third round pick? I'm sorry. Uh, Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. Linebacker. Yeah, um, that's where, you know, that's where they get linebackers. Um, he's, a, he's an inside guy. I mean, he's a, uh, certainly a guy that would fit. And, and um, I mean, they don't have any linebackers. So let, let's, you know, say what you will about Jatavis Brown and Alex Singleton and you know, Duke Riley and those guys. Uh, they, they, need, they need backers. So I have no problem with that. Um, I went with uh, Van Jefferson in the third round for a couple reasons. Um, they obviously he's from Florida and how he can't get out of the first couple of days of the draft without uh, taking a Florida guy. That's not sure anymore. Uh, I think that there, if you don't get Justin Jefferson, at least you get Van Jefferson. So there's that. Um, and you know, have I, the jerseys I, made up. I want to get, yeah, I want to get out of, I want to get out of day two with two wide receivers and uh, you know, Van Jefferson's got good size. Uh, he's a, he's a little bit limited, but uh, I think good value there in the third round, if you can get him. Yeah, and and we're talking about receivers and edge rushers. There are a lot of players who are really good players in day two at both of those positions. Like, I'm looking at a list of edge rushers now. Um, There are some really good You know, Daryl Taylor is a guy I like from Tennessee. I know the Tennessee people are going to be rolling their eyes because of Derek Barnett, but Taylor is a much different player. I mean, he's really a high-ceiling player. He's going to be available day two. You mentioned the Florida guys, Jabari Zeninga. 
from Florida. I hope I'm not butchering his name, but he's a really fun upside player. There are a lot of a lot of defensive ends. The Notre Dame kid could be there. Aquara, um, yeah, like he, he's another one. There are a lot of those guys. Bradley and Nye from Utah. Um, there are a lot of day two edge rushers, almost to the point where I'd be a little surprised if the Eagles don't leave day two with an edge rusher. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, I, and I'd be okay with that. Uh, I do think it's an underrated need for him. How about receiver? Because are there any of those um, second-round guys you really like? For me, it'd be Brendan Ayuk from Arizona State. Um, he's kind of a fringe first-round guy. I don't know if he'll be there at 53. He was talking to John Clark on, on a Zoom call earlier this week, said the Eagles have expressed a lot of interest, which they're expressing interest in anyone who's ever caught a football ever. Uh, but Ayuk's really intriguing to me because he doesn't have that full resume. He really had one year as a starter at Arizona State, but he's an explosive player. It's funny, I think back to the combine, he ran a 4-5, and I remember thinking, how did he only run a 4-5? And then it comes out a little later, he had the, the sports hernia they eventually needed surgery on. So it kind of explained – some people saw that as a negative. I saw it as like, oh, that makes sense. Um, he, he might be my favorite of those second-round guys. Yeah, and a guy like Mims, I don't know exactly if he's a second-round guy. I like Rager a lot. Every one of these guys has something – either they don't have great size uh, or they, they, ran, they didn't run well at the combine, um, drops – I think Mims is a guy who's kind of a raw guy who uh, he's not real polished. He's got a lot to learn on the NFL level. Um, fortunately, Carson Walsh won't be his receivers coach. Cheap shot. I'm sorry. Uh, but every one of those guys has something in that second group of wide receivers that, you know, there's a reason they're the second round, but I, if you could get, you know, if you could get a Mims, I, I like Rager a lot. Um, I think they'd be at the top of my kind of second group of, of receivers, whether they're there at 53, I don't know, but, um, certainly after 21, so that, that whole kind of next group. Um, I like Mims. I, I think he'd be a good fit. And then we didn't even talk about K.J. Hamler from Penn State. Um, there's one trait there that is really notable, and it's, it's that straight line speed. He has blemishes, but that speed's hard to overlook. Yeah, um, not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy, but, you know, he's an intriguing guy. Uh, we've seen a lot of really fast guys that, you know, can't translate it uh, onto the field on Sunday. So, you know, we'll see. But, like, yeah, like you said, every one of those guys, or like I said, every one of those guys has a couple qualities that really opens your eyes. But then there's that, that one thing that's kind of knocked them down from the first round of the second round. Yeah, with Hamler, it's funny because I, I've seen some people kind of say that he's like the next best option as a speed guy from Ruggs. He's, I've heard people call him like a poor man Ruggs, but that's really not fair. Like Henry Ruggs is a really good receiver. He's a really good football player. Hamler has really, to me, one explosive trait. And it's a great trait. That speed is not teachable, but not, not really a, a finished product either. Well, and, and Mims ran 438, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, I think that surprised a lot of people. That kind of, you know, that's not slow. I mean, compared, I guess, compared to rugs, you know, 438 sounds like, you know, 
Well, especially at his size too. Like Rich Eisen running a forty, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at his size, I mean, he's a big dude. So uh, he's an intriguing guy to me. He is. All right, let's get to this uh, Rich Eisen interview. Really good stuff here. Watch the Rich Eisen show live on NBCSN Monday through Friday from one to three p.m. Joining us now, the one, the only, Rich Eisen. Rich, how are you? I'm I'm great, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Good to chat with you. Yeah, so I'm sure this is a busy time of year for you as always, but a little peculiar, a little different this time around. Um, I want to ask you about this draft in particular. All of our listeners are going to be watching on Thursday night. What can they expect? Well, I mean, uh, ESPN and NFL Network are combining forces. It's mostly ESPN. They, ha- they have a control room that's up and running. Our control room here in Los Angeles has been, you know, since the shelter-in-place shut down. Um, so um, – but that's going to be the linear TV draft coverage. What I'll be doing is sitting um, at the right corner of my home office desk doing this. Uh, I will be on a Zoom, um, and that's how I'll be covering the draft. It's called Draftathon Live. Um, it's in support of six charities that the NFL have identified um, that are on the front lines of fighting COVID-19 or offering relief for those who are in desperate need of it. Uh, I'll be sitting there starting at 7.30 at night, uh, a half an hour before the, the Bengals are put on the clock. Uh, Deion Sanders will be Zooming in with me uh, all night long. Uh, the first guest is Philly's own Kevin Hart. Uh, he'll be spending the first half hour with us, and then joining us will be uh, Tom Brady, Michael Strahan, um, Russell Wilson, uh, Robert Kraft at one point will pop in, um, all Zooming together. That's the idea of just creating a – sort of a chat room while the draft goes on um, and some players will join hall of fame players just in and out. And then we'll be raising as much money as we possibly can. That'll be on every social media platform. The NFL uh, is associated with Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, um, also Reddit, Yahoo sports will have it. So that's what I'll be doing that on Thursday night, Friday night, and a little bit of Saturday to provide some draft coverage, but some also universal coverage of the, life as we know it right now. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know how you guys are, are finding it from your viewers um, and for your fans there in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I'm, I'm finding a lot of people are looking for a little normalcy, uh, a little break from what's going on outside. And um, hopefully the draft will provide it for three nights. It's a, it's a very different assignment for you. Uh, like you said, I'm sure you'll be doing some football, but your focus oh, yeah. will be on the fundraiser. Um, how, did, how, how do you prepare for that? Uh, how much football do you prepare for? Uh, it's kind of uncharted waters here, what you'll be doing. And, and how's your preparation gone for that? Well, Ruben, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, here every day. So I'm kind of we're, – we're on top of all the stories like you are, right? I mean, you know, you know exactly what Philadelphia needs and – and you also know what, what's going on at the top of the draft and who's moving around. And so talking about it every day is really my preparation for it. The best preparation for a draft is I'm um, fortunate to be sitting at the combine. I mean, uh, on average, 90 to 96% of the, the draftees uh, in a draft are collected from the combine. So it's just out of order, right? Um, they just put in a different order. Uh, when it comes to the draft. So I've been exposed in some way, shape, or form to see with my own two eyes, albeit not playing football, but um, at a combine. So, um, and then hearing from Daniel Jeremiah and having all the guests on here, 
um, to talk about it. So that's that. In terms of who's zooming into my uh, Draftathon Live Draft Zoom room, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. There are some influencers from the social media world who I, I might have to brush up on who they are. Uh, my kids might not, so I might call them into the room just to help dad out. And that's the kind of laid back um, situation this is going to be on Thursday and Friday night and Saturday afternoon. You know, like we will talk some sports, we will talk some football, and, uh, but we'll also have some fun to try and again, um, give people a break, a little bit of a respite um, from the reality, but also reminding them what, what is going on outside every now and then to make sure that we raise as much money as possible. So that's, I guess, my long-winded answer to that one. The, the draft-a-thon is a pretty cool idea. The Eagles have already given 250k to the cause. Well, the Take Lurie's me through a little really, bit. Very, Lori's are very, very, um, uh, you know, very. They're very, very generous, charitable people. So I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. They absolutely are, and the, the whole concept of this is a, a cool idea to have the draft-a-thon. How exactly will it work? How do people donate, and and where do they come from? Well, NFL.com slash relief is going to be the website that we're going to send people to. And uh, again, there are uh, six charities uh, that have been selected by the NFL to be uh, face front here. Uh, Meals on Wheels being one, the Salvation Army being another. There is one uh, COVID relief fund that is uh, associated with uh, the CDC, another one with United Way. So um, these are the charities that have been uh, identified. Uh, and then obviously there'll be others that will be brought up. Uh, I know that my, my wife in particular is involved with uh, an organization called, um, you know, Masks for the People because there are many people uh, of color and many people in urban areas that don't have the face coverings that we need. Um, and there are many others uh, out there that have so many other charitable events uh, that are going on and fundraisers that are going on. I'm sure a lot of players are having their own um, uh, associations with these charities and we'll mention that sort of stuff. So, uh, it's just really, like I said, laid back at one point, my dogs might barge in my, my son's room is over my, um, my son's share room at 11 and uh, nine years old. They've got like one of those mini baskets in their room there. I mean, you might hear the thumping, uh, where it feels like my, the ceilings caving in in my home office. It's a lively house. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sheltered in place with an 11, nine and six year old. Uh, and two dogs, you might hear them barking, but that's life, man, right? I mean, that's what we're all doing. That's your, your, you guys are quarantined, doing the right thing and sheltering in place. And that's what the commissioner's doing. That's what everybody's doing from the NFL. Uh, and that'll be on display on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Rich, I, I have to admit, when the NFL first said that they were going to go ahead and have the draft now, I had mixed feelings about it. I, right. I wondered about the appropriateness of it. Uh, but like you alluded to a minute ago, I think it really is therapeutic for a lot of people. We don't have basketball. The Sixers aren't playing the Phillies, Flyers. Uh, can you just kind of address that aspect of it? It's really, like you said, giving people some normalcy in a really tough time. The only thing I could, I could relate to this to, the only thing that comes close to, you know, what I've lived through as a New Yorker and what I lived through as a broadcaster was um, I did the Sports Center on September 12th, 2001. Um, and I was heading to that sports center set. What the hell am I doing? I literally thought that I'm like my hometown, you know, I'm from Staten Island, New York. I grew up, you know, going to the North shore of Staten Island and seeing the world trade center. Uh, that was, you know, that was the first thing you saw. You get bigger and bigger and bigger as you took the Staten Island ferry 
uh, to lower Manhattan. And now this building is on fire. It's, uh, it's in embers. It's destroyed. How the hell am I going to look myself in the face and broadcast? Talk about sports and whether the SEC was going to play or they were thinking of playing and the NFL, we were still waiting to hear and all that stuff. Now, I remember, I was just sitting there uh, doing the show. I, I'm, you know, as memory serves with Stuart, Scott, and um, we looked at each other and like, what the hell are we doing? And um, I had a place on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at the time, a small, like 300 square foot spot for me to just go and hang out whenever I had the time. And I went right down there after the show, got there at 2.30 in the morning, woke up. And as I walked out of the building, one of the guys in the building said, thanks for doing Sports Center last night. I watched it this morning. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I felt normal. He goes, for the first time in 48 hours, I felt normal. And I thought to myself, wow, I didn't see that one coming. And so... You know, obviously, that's one way for me to sit here and say I'm glad to be doing a draft because uh, I'm, I'm imagining there's a ton of people out there. And the show that I'm doing every day, you know, there's only five of us here. So and we're all for 15 feet apart. So that's how we're able to do this. And we all looked each other in the face when we just started, decided to keep doing this. Like we're all going to quarantine when we're home. Like we're not going to go out and do anything stupid. We're going to be smart about it. And we're going to make sure that nobody's coming into our houses. So we're not going to get each other sick and continue doing this thing. And we hear from people because we're on our YouTube feed every day. And we see people just in the chat room and we get people calling in saying we, that they appreciate that we're doing this. So obviously, you know, you run the risk of um, the real world becoming so dark and the virus setting its own timeline that you say, hey, we're going to have this event. And then suddenly it's completely tone deaf to do it. Um, but here we are. And I think that, you know, if, uh, somebody who's on the front lines in a hospital and gets a break for half an hour and they get to the break room and they can turn the television set on and watch the draft, you know, somebody sitting there in the Philadelphia, uh, hospital system, um, being able to take the break when the Eagles are on the clock. Right. Isn't that what this is about? So, um, while we're also raising awareness for these charities, I'm, 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 I'm glad it's happening. Hey, Rich, we can't let you go without asking you this. Normally, the draft this year would have been in, in Las Vegas. A few years right. ago, in Philadelphia, we feel like in Philly, we kind of set the bar right. pretty high. What do you remember from that weekend, and, and what was kind of a highlight for you? I, I just remember how uh, lit the town was, man. And then, obviously, uh, Ben Franklin Parkway turned into what it was turned into and in the, the famed steps of the art museum. They actually moved Rocky's statue. They actually moved it. Um, to, you know, that's just shows you the power of the NFL. But, um, you know, the thing that I remember just being there, uh, was the man at the other end of the set from me, uh, who I spent many years on the draft set with now the, uh, he would have been the host GM of the draft this year, uh, Mike Mayock, who's as Philly as they come. And, uh, I know I'm not breaking news to anybody, but Mike Mayock is not a Jewish man, but if he was, that would have been his bar mitzvah. I mean, that was it. I mean, he was just running into everybody and everybody was basically like giving him gifts. It seemed like he was just smiling ear to ear that his town that uh, he loves and uh, is associated with, he grew up in, he knows what a diehard football fan base it is. And so he was grinning ear to ear the entire time, but none more so when Drew Pearson got to the microphone and announced the Cowboys pick and heard the boos from the fans. And he just took all the, cowboy hate and balled it up and threw it back to the Philly fans who seemed to eat that up. And it was just 
dynamite. And there was a bunch of New Yorkers, obviously, who took Amtrak down, took the Acela down, I'm sure, uh, that were giving it to Drew Pearson, too. It wasn't just Philly fans. It was just cowboy hate <laughs> of the Northeast corridor all on display. And it was glorious. I think I stood up and gave a standing ovation. I loved it. It was great. And I, I hope we do it again there. It was really just dynamite. Well, Rich, we, we thank you for your time. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Eisen and at Rich Eisen Show. Thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Rich. Be safe and healthy. Good stuff. Hey, Thursday night, we are live on NBC Sports Philadelphia before and after the first round. Hear predictions and insight at 6 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, break down the Eagles selection and how it could impact the season. Be sure to watch On the Clock Thursday night at 6 and 10 on NBC Sports Philadelphia. That was good stuff with Rich Eisen. Um, yeah, I, I really agree with him. That he, I, I was kind of with you, Rube, when the drafts st- when we started hearing about the draft and even free agency, kind of conflicted about it. And I think I've mentioned it on here, but everyone telling us that listening to the pod has been helpful and they've enjoyed it kind of changed my outlook on that. And it seems like he's had some of those similar experiences in his career before and now too. Yeah, and I mean, personally, and I'm sure you feel the same way, you know, there's a lot of time to kill. You know, there's a lot, we have a lot of hours in the day. There's a lot of things we can't do that, that we love doing, that we miss doing. So um, I'm just burying myself at work and, and just kind of in the draft and draft prep and enjoying doing the writing and the podcasts and um, all, all the other stuff we're doing. Um, it is therapeutic, man. I miss the Sixers and I miss the Phillies. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it is, it is good to have this. And uh, I've kind of gone 180 degrees on it, honestly. I, I, I didn't think it was right at first. But, um, and, and I really appreciate the way that the NFL is using the platform. They're going to raise a ton of money um, over the next few days, over the next week. And so they're not just doing it in a vacuum. They're doing it and giving it some meaning with the, uh, with the draft-a-thon that Rich is spearheading and, uh, a lot of money for a really good cause is going to get raised. That wouldn't have been raised if they hadn't done it. So certainly adds to the, to the full picture. Yeah. And we mentioned how he has that 21st pick. Most likely he will take a player in the first round. So I figured we did this a little while back, but it's probably a good idea to do it again, kind of going through his first round picks. And I, I ranked them way back, uh, you know, a month or so ago. But I think it's two months ago. I think it's time to probably look at that again. And you want to just go through the rankings and, and kind of tell me what you think about these picks and the way they got these players? Yeah. So my, my number one was Fletcher Cox. They got him in 2012 at number 12. To me, he's a Hall of Fame player, and he's the clear number one. Yeah, he is a clear number one. Uh, I think that he's really, you know, you look up and he's put together this body of work. I mean, five straight Pro Bowls. Um, there's not a lot of guys in Eagles history have done that. So um, he just keeps stringing together. And he's had some years that have been better than others. He's had some injuries. But um, the guy is just a uh, – and I saw Jerome Brown. I covered Jerome Brown. And I think there's a mythology because, you know, Jerome Brown – uh, I mean, you know, as the years go by, the, the myth of Jerome Brown, he was a great player. I mean, he's an all-pro. He's a first-team all-pro. Uh, but Fletcher's every bit as good as Jerome Brown. Um, 
that combination of being able to get to the quarterback, incredible effort, um, a beast against the run, um, and, and just giving you everything he has. They're, they're kind of similar players in that way, very different personalities. Nobody in the world has ever had a personality like Jerome Brown, but uh, yeah, he's, he is that good. And then, my and then Marcus second Smith one. second. Did you say Marcus Smith second? Yeah, I would disagree. I, I, we should have gone in reverse order because this is going to get ugly at the end. Here. It is. It is. Uh, my second one is actually Carson Wentz. And the reason I had it second was, look, he hasn't had that long career yet. But when I look back at what Howie did that offseason, going from 13 to 8 to 2 to get Carson, and before that draft identifying – this is the way we need to build this team for him to like leave the equipment closet and be that aggressive in his first draft back in power to me kind of defines his overall tenure as GM in Philly. Yeah. I probably put Lane Johnson ahead of Carson just because I, I think, I mean, Lane's Lane's made three pro bowls in a row and uh, I, you know, He's had the two suspensions, but uh, that obviously hasn't been a problem since 2016. I think it was the second one. We're hurt last year, but um, until until Carson can get, I don't know, can get over that hump, and, and I don't blame him. I don't, I don't think it's his fault. I don't think he's injury prone, although you can certainly make the case. Um, I, I got to put Lane number two. Um, yeah, I had Lane three. If we, oh, you, you pretty much have to. But uh, I think if um, – and it's interesting to think about people rip on Howie's dra- – I mean, Howie might have drafted three Hall of Famers. I mean, Fletcher, Ertz, and Kelsey, when they were all done, they could all be Hall of Famers. They were all Howie Roseman draft picks. Certainly, Big Red had a lot to do with Kelsey and and, uh, and Fletch. But who knows, Carson might, might be that kind of player. But, um, yeah, I'd put Lane ahead of Carson just because – uh, he's done it. Obviously, he didn't play in last year's playoffs, but he's done it for a longer period of time. He's played full seasons, uh, three-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, uh, really yeah, a hell of I mean, a player. When I put Wentz ahead of him, I'm not saying that he's like a better player. My, my whole idea there was that you had the number four pick, you took a great player. That's, that's fine, that's great, but it's not the same to me as identifying the player, being gutsy enough, I censored myself there, to move up and get him, to me, that's like, that's more impressive. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Carson might might have been a better body of work leading up to the draft. Lane's a better player. I hear what you're saying, Carson. You can make it. I mean, I think what Howie did that whole, and I wrote a whole story about that one day when they traded away uh, DeMarco Murray and Byron Maxwell and, and got rid of Kiko Alonso and really set the the wheels in motion for the Carson pick, got the picks that, um, you know, he, he would trade to get and got, got up to eight and eventually two. Um, it, it was really some, some wizardry that, that how he pulled off, not just getting rid of those guys, but getting the right quarterback and identifying and, and, and getting them. Yeah. And it was like the perfect mix for him. Cause not only did he move up to get his quarterback, but he also took a giant eraser to everything Chip Kelly had messed up. It was the day that saved the Eagles. Yeah, that's how you put it. Yeah, that was that was my that was my clickbait headline. <laughs> <laughs> who do you have? Uh, who do you have fourth here? It gets a little a little, little, little sketchy. Uh, Brandon Graham, who has turned into a very good player, um, 
to the point where he, he's become a fan favorite. One of the, we talk about how strange Nick Foles' career is, which is certainly true. Brandon Graham's career is pretty darn strange, too. Yeah, I mean, to go from being in, in Jim Washburn's doghouse and getting cursed out by him and riding the bench. I mean, there were games, um, gosh, there were games Brandon didn't even get in. I believe his second year, he only played in three games. <laughs> this guy, uh, he didn't become a starter until the sixth year in the NFL. Uh, and then, he, you know, the last few years, he's been a seven, eight, nine sack guy, makes the play in the Super Bowl, uh, a real leader. Tell you what, if you told me in 2010 or 11 that 10 years from now, BG would still be on this team three head coaches later and I don't know what, seven defensive line coaches later, I would have said you're crazy. But he's a real survivor. He's a fighter, very positive guy. Uh, I know he's one of your favorites. He's one of my favorites. Uh, He's on on our channel more than we are. Uh, (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, he's um, he's had quite a career, and and I'm proud of him for sticking with. It. He's a real a real lesson in. That's why when people say, "Well, J.J. Arcega White said he's a bust; he'll never amount to anything." It may be so, but you know, you could have said that about B.G. for four or five years, and the guy had 11 sacks in his first four years, and became you know after that became one of the better defensive ends in the league. So yeah. everybody has their own journey. When I um I did a big B.G. story a few years ago when he went back to Detroit when the Eagles played there. I remember talking to his mom and she said she wouldn't even wear his jersey <laughs> in the stands because it, it had gotten that bad. Yeah. Um, and it's been a long time now since we've heard about Earl Thomas and JPP. And nothing against those two players, but Brandon Graham has solidified himself. And it, you're right. It's, it's amazing – to see where he is now from where he was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. All right, here's where it gets a little sketchy. Yeah. Uh, I have Derek Barnett. Of course you do. At number five. Well, who else are you going to put there? I was thinking Fireman, but I guess you got to go You got to go Barnett fifth. Barnett uh, fifth. Uh, he's at least been a functional player. Um, has made some big plays for this team. Yeah, well, you recovered the fumble that BG – and had a nice minus nine yard return on it. It went the wrong way, but he held are you gonna, on to the- Are you going to knock him for that? <laughs> no, he, he made recovers a fumble in the Super Bowl. It was not an easy recovery. There was a lot of noise around him, and, and there was a lot of hands and arms and bodies around him, and, and he did a good job of secure the ball. Number six is Andre Dillard. Yep. Um, we don't know, but he's already ahead of the other two. Yeah, just by default, uh, because he had three decent games, which is more than the other two had. Yeah, uh, I'm curious how you ranked the last two. I guess you got to go, you got to go, uh, Watkins and then Smith. No, I put Marcus Smith at seven. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, because first off, all right. So first off, Marcus Smith was never good. He never started the game. Um, but he was a 26 pick. It was a, a worse pick because I mean, it was a 23rd pick it's not like he yeah he was but at the time I think a lot of people were in agreement that the fireman was an okay pick you know everyone thought you're going to draft this guy you're going to plug him in a guard who cares that he's old who cares he's a fireman he's going to play that spot and everything's going to be fine um and at least Marcus Smith wanted to play football no he didn't more than the fireman the fireman, the fireman was 26. He drafted a 26-year-old stiff. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you I'll put have, Marcus. I'm going to agree with you just because Marcus Smith was 22 when they drafted him. So at least you think, well, he's got upside. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah. I think the Marcus Smith didn't have the tools to be a good player. The other guy probably did, but just didn't give a crap. He just he took his check and just gave up. He had no interest in, in playing the game. Remember that one year when Kelsey and well, Kelsey was the same draft, but. I guess it was a second year. They kind of that was their project for OTAs. We're going to make them a player. That was it. Was a noble he had idea. The tools. Yeah, he did. No. Now he's, and he's using them, but yeah, just in Texas fighting fires, which is a more noble profession, no doubt. But you could have done that. He's bad with at that. that too. No, he was rookie of the year. I remember yeah. when that story came out. He was rookie fireman of the year, and. What, uh, he wasn't. Area? He wasn't technically a rookie. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna investigate that. Because you're only a rookie if you have, if you've never fought fires before. Anyway, so yeah, I, I'll agree with you. I'll go. I'll put Marcus Smith, who who had like three career sacks ahead of ahead of Fireman Danny. That's fair. Oh, you finally said his name. I thought we weren't gonna say his name. It's like Voldemort. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not gonna. It's just not gonna say his name. Um. Ever, ever, ever again. All right. It's time. I need one bold prediction for the draft. Do you have one ready? Yeah. I'm going to say Tua drops out of the top ten. Oh, I'm wow. Bold. Okay. That's pretty bold, right? I just think that people are going to be scared away by by that hip. I'm that say would change gets, the first round quite a bit. Yeah, it sure would. I'm, I just think when, when push comes to shove – you know, without without being able to get your doctors to take a look at them, I, I just I just don't have a good feeling about it. Interesting. Uh, for me, it's going to be that the Eagles leave day two with a linebacker. I think they're going to finally use a day one or day two pick on a linebacker, which would kind of go against what Howie said about the position not that long ago, but I think that they are just so weak at that spot right now. And, and I think they have to realize that the only time they ever end up with decent linebackers, they put marginal, at least, resources into it. So I like a linebacker in one of the first three rounds. It's interesting. Uh, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if, if they take one of the top two in the first round if they have to stick in that 21st spot. Uh, I guess, you know, I, I would have thought at first that would be an unpopular pick, but I think, I think people understand that uh, taking a linebacker makes more sense at 21 than reaching for a receiver. I think, I think Eagles fans understand that. Um, hey, DraftKings has partnered with United Way to help those affected by COVID-19. To join the rally, take a picture of yourself in a rally cap, post it on social media, tag three friends, and use the hashtag DK Rally. That's DK Rally. DraftKings will donate $1 to United Way until they reach $1 million. Visit DraftKings.com slash DK Rally for all the details. And um, just a reminder, Dave, that um, all your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk right now on the My Teams app. Hey, if you're an Eagles fan, um, we don't talk about Jeff Lurie that often, but if you're an Eagles fan, you should be proud of 
not just the team, but also that you're a fan of a team with an owner who cares. Um, we heard Rich Eisen talk about it earlier, but Jeff Lurie is so philanthropic, and we find out on Tuesday him and the team donate another million dollars to COVID-19 relief funds. It's impressive stuff, and, and I hate the cynicism from people who will say, well, he's a billionaire, what's a million dollars? It's a million dollars, that's what it is. And I think the part that impresses me so much, Herb, is how thoughtful all these donations are. Um, it's not like Jeff Lurie's just throwing his money out there for whatever. He puts serious thought into how much money he's giving to which causes. And this is a second million dollar lump sum we've seen from him in the last month go to charitable endeavors. Yeah, Jeffrey donated a million bucks to uh, Penn Hospital Research. Uh, yeah, it's very thoughtful. He, he, you know, I read the whole rundown and, and it's in your story that's on our site, NBC Sports Philadelphia right now. Um, very thoughtful how he divvied it up. Uh, he's not just doing it as a publicity stunt. He's doing it to make the most difference that he can. Um, I, I've always been a fan of Jeff Lurie. I thought early in his ownership uh, career here, he was really treated poorly by fans. Uh, he, he's always, you know, he, he's, he's been here, gosh, since what, 90? I mean, the, the deal got finalized after the, I guess, during the 94 season, early in 95. So it's been a quarter of a century. Jeff Lurie's lived in this town. He's not a New Englander. Uh, he's not a, he's, he's, he's a, he's not a Bostonite. He's a Philly guy. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much more he has to do to prove that. And when it comes to running the team, he's always spent the, the, the money that he has to. It's not his fault if the GMs are spending it on the wrong guys. He's always been uh, willing to spend money as an owner. And I think what we've seen from, from Jeff over these last few weeks you know, really speaks to the, the kind of person he is. He really does care and cares about the city very deeply. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a very generous couple donations he's made to causes that are important to him and, and really important to all of us right now. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I just think the world of him, and um, I'm, I'm proud of what he's done, what he's doing. Yeah, to kind of break it down. So the initial million-dollar donation back in early April – was for research. So um, some of that money was divvied up for healthcare tests, um, serology tests to, for immunity, um, basically so that healthcare workers can be tested to find out they have immunity and then can feel safe going back to work. And also some of that money going to research to find a cure for the virus. Um, so that's separate. And that was a personal donation. That wasn't an Eagles donation. That was personally from Jeffrey Lurie. This million dollars is a more tangible group of resources for healthcare workers. So it's divvied up into a bunch of different ways. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, one of the main ones is for 100,000 N95 masks for healthcare workers. And it, it's divvied up 250 grand is going to the Red Cross. And they already had their, um, their blood drive earlier in the month. So that's a cause that's important to them. And then, you know, their, their iMobile, which has become a, a huge initiative of theirs, some money went to that to make sure that is able to keep flowing during this time, that those workers are able to get paid and, and maintain what they're doing. 
But I thought it was really cool. Another part of that, the iMobile right now is acting as a mobile testing site at Jefferson Hospital in Center City. So it, to me, that's just a, a really cool thing that I hadn't heard before that, that the, the iMobile is down there as a test site. Yeah, and that all goes back to Jermaine Mayberry, first round pick in 1996, who was, I think, legally blind in one eye and, and uh, started that whole charity, the iMobile. And, you know, Jermaine was drafted in 96 and played here until I think about 2004 or five. So, you know, 15 years later, he's got a great legacy uh, and, and that iMobile. And his, I think his picture's still on the iMobile. They change the pictures every year. Uh, his, his photo's still on the iMobile. So, you know, it, it's good to see his. All these years later, his um, his decision to start that up still paying dividends. It's, it's nice to see. Yeah, and, and real quick on that, I think it starts at the top. Like Jeff Lurie is such a charitable guy, but so many of his players have kind of followed suit. I don't want to leave them out, but, you know, like Zach Ertz and, and Malik Jackson, who's only been here a year, donated a ton of money. Rodney McLeod, like all these guys are doing great things in the community. And sometimes we overlook it, but – um, where we are right now, I think it's important to at least acknowledge some of that. And how he started, he got all the GMs together to donate a thousand bucks for every draft pick. The head coaches followed along. So, you know, that's going to be a good amount of money too. All right. This is, this is almost a little sad because this is the last time we're going to talk to everyone until after the first pick. And I'm we'll have pods throughout the draft. Careful. I might, I might choke up right now. Oh no. I hate when Dave gets emotional. <laughs> Yeah, so we will, um, we will be with you after the first round. Whatever the Eagles do, if they trade up, trade down, pick a player at 21, uh, we'll have a podcast after that at some point in the night, and we'll bring them to you throughout the weekend as we get ready for this draft. Don't forget, check out um, our special 6 p.m. on NBC Sports Philadelphia. We will both be a part of that one. Everyone, enjoy the draft. Enjoy some normalcy in your lives. We'll be back with the Eagle Eye podcast soon enough. Thanks again.